My name is Adele Campbell. Today we continue a sermon series on the Psalms with today's reading from the 32nd Psalm. We will be reading the Psalm together responsively with a sung refrain. The musicians will play through it first, then the choir will sing it, then the congregation. Just follow along. Over to the musicians. <coughs> Happy are those whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those whom the Lord does not hold guilty, in whose spirit there is no deceit. kept silence, my body wasted away th through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all who are faithful offer prayer to you at a time of distress. The rush of mighty waters shall not reach them, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with glad cries of deliverance. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, you are a mighty fortress. You are a very present help in times of trouble. We pray that your Holy Spirit would descend upon us and that you would be a light and a shield and that you would bring us life and assurance of your everlasting love. All of these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So today is our last Sunday in the Psalms, the Psalms being the prayer book of the Bible. We've been through something of an emotional roller coaster, you could say. 
from psalms of praise to psalms of vengeance and psalms in praise of God's law. It's been a bit of a wild ride, you could say, but all good things must come to an end. And we're ending with the 32nd Psalm. The Bible names this particular psalm as a Psalm of David. That's because traditionally this psalm is attributed to David, Israel's greatest king. David who whipped a stone at Goliath's head. David who broke the back of Israel's enemies. David who united the kingdom. David, the great poet and musician who scribed the psalms. I mean, imagine if Winston Churchill also wrote Top 40 radio hits and you'll get a sense of David's greatness. Uh, Jesus' uh, supporters named Jesus as the son of David. And because alongside Moses, David, David's shadow looms large over the, whole, the Old Testament and the New, the whole of Scripture. David is considered a pretty righteous guy, but this psalm, if we read it as David's psalm, tells a bit of a different story. For all of David's virtues and achievements, David also had some particular significant vices and failures. Traditionally, this psalm alongside the 51st psalm is thought to be David's confession for one of his best-known transgressions, his affair with Bathsheba. I mean, if you're unfamiliar with the story, perhaps you know Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, your faith was strong, but you needed proof. You saw her bathing on the roof. David was out on the palace balcony, and he spied Bathsheba bathing and decided that she was what he wanted, and he had her sent to him. Problem is that Bathsheba was the wife of Uriah, his top general and best, most loyal friend. They managed to keep it a secret until she got pregnant, and getting found out would have wiped out the king's reputation, it would have destroyed Bathsheba's marriage, and it would have shattered Uriah's loyalty to David, and everybody needs a good general, so can't have that happen. So David had Uriah sent right to the front line where he was cut down. They had to cover it up, so no Uriah, no problem. Now, if this psalm's a poetic retelling of this episode in David's life, the whole process wasn't so simple. David may have had successfully covered up his transgressions. He may have shrewdly ducked the consequences of his actions. But the one thing he couldn't avoid was a sense of guilt. Verse 3 in our psalm. While I kept silence, he sings, while I kept silence, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. Day and night, he continues, day and night, your hand was heavy upon me and my strength was dried up as the heat of summer. So the silence here is presumably David's keeping this whole ordeal to himself. And apparently this is causing all these physiological symptoms of stress. His body is wasting, he can't eat. He groans all day and night. He can't sleep. His strength has evaporated, which sounds like depression. So he can't move. I mean, I picture him downing a bottle of Pepto-Bismol every day. He feels this heavy weight on him constantly, the hand of God's judgment. He's got all the classic symptoms 
of guilt. Guilt for pulling Bathsheba into adultery. Guilt for betraying his best friend. Guilt for letting him die to avoid his own responsibility in the thing. And guilt for hiding it. Covering it up. The whole thing is eating him up inside. And as much as it's destroying him, though, he can't be found out. He doesn't want to be found out because if he is... Then it's all over. You know, it's that image like Sarah gave us, the pile of the pumpkins. You take that out, the rest falls down. Now, does this ring any bells for you? One commentator said that David's tossing and turning and moaning and groaning is, quote, all too familiar. It's all too familiar because many of us know the feeling. I mean, this is an echo of the story of Adam and Eve. They ate the fruit and weren't supposed to, but rather than coming clean, they hid. The emotional, psychological, physiological toll of running away from our transgressions, hiding what we've done, lying, concealing, sinning more to hide the original sin, feeling the heavy hand of judgment on our shoulders and the tightness in our chests. Guilt is like acid to body and soul alike. And you know, we want to say something. Everything in us is crying out for relief, but admitting the truth could cost us a job, a friendship, a marriage, respect, status, social standing. It could blow up our whole life. This is why in politics and public life, we are so notoriously truth-avoidant. Because telling it, admitting even the smallest infraction can cause everything we hold dear to blow up in our faces, especially in the age of Twitter and Facebook and the internet. So we spend most of our time maintaining our innocence, deflecting our faults, hiding our crimes. We want to come clean, but we're in too deep. No going back. So this psalm isn't just David's story. This psalm is our story. It's our own story, too. And of course, if you know the rest of David's story, you'll know that David's worst fears came true. He was eventually found out. The prophet Nathan told him this parable about a rich man who has a whole feedlot of cattle and sheep, and a poor man that only had a single little lamb, his beloved and only possession. Now, one day, the rich man had a guest over, but he didn't want to waste any of his livestock. So he nabbed the poor man's pet and served his guests lamb chops instead. And you know this, when Nathan tells this story, David's like, ah, what? What a jerk. What nerve. He said, not really getting the point. If it were up to me, I would hang that guy. And of course, Nathan says, guess what? You're the jerk. You're the one. You're the man, he says. And then he kind of details every good gift that God had ever given the king, but he just wasn't satisfied with enough. So like the rich man in the parable, he took the lamb that didn't belong to him, and he left Uriah for dead. If anybody deserves a hanging, David... It is you. It's you. You're the man. And you know, David's found out. I mean, he could kill Nathan too, I guess. But it's at this point he finally stops running and he stops hiding 
I've sinned against the Lord, he admits. I've sinned against the Lord. He finally comes clean, no matter the consequences. And you know what? He doesn't get a date with the gallows. Instead, Nathan tells him that even though he deserves it, he won't die. Instead, he's forgiven. He's forgiven for the adultery, the betrayal, the lying, the cover-up. The Lord has taken away your sin, says Nathan. Now, of course, there will be consequences, some of them brutal. There's no reversing what he's done. Things aren't going to be just rosy from here on in. But in God's eyes, his guilt has been wiped clean. I came clean, David says in our psalm. I didn't hide it anymore, and instead I confessed it to you. And to my great surprise, he says, you forgave me the guilt of my sin. He won't die. It won't be the same as the old one. But he's given a whole new life. Just like that. Now, in the original story, we don't really hear how this makes David feel. But the psalm paints a picture of incredible relief. David's like, if I've been forgiven, you can be too. He exhort everyone, exhorts everybody who's faithful to pray like he has. It was like he was out of control on the rapids, barely keeping afloat, and then got sucked under. He was drowning in his own lies and deceit, but then the waters parted. His confession was like a cry for help, one that was met with a life preserver called forgiveness. Death didn't overwhelm him. He was preserved. Like our Reformation-era opening hymn says, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper sure amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. In telling the truth, he could start again. In telling the truth, all that guilt he was carrying around was somehow relieved from him by the love and mercy of the living God. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. He would not die, but he would live. Now, I mean, this is the perfect psalm for Reformation Sunday because one of the big things about the Reformation, about Reformation Christianity, Christianity in general, but Reformation Christianity in particular, is God's power to forgive. Not just to forgive the little things, but to forgive the worst things. Not by earning them, or even making amends or fixing the damage we've done, that often comes after. Because we could never actually do that. But it comes as a free gift in Christ that changes us. Now, there's this story that a famous minister tells, but I can't seem to find where he told this story, so I won't say his name. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure this minister tells this story somewhere. The story of a middle-aged woman, a lifelong member of his church, very kind, very devoted to the congregation, a real model church lady, you could say. 
and appeared to be a model mother and wife to her husband, one of the saints of the church. However, not all was well with her soul. This woman paid this minister a visit, and during their conversation, she admitted to long bouts of insomnia and stress, often accompanied by a heavy sense of guilt. You see, shortly after she and her husband were married several decades prior, she had an affair with one of his friends. It lasted about a year, but eventually she couldn't do it anymore. He was an incredible husband. She loved him and vowed never to do it again. Out of fear, though, she never told him that this had happened. She figured that it would have been the end of it all. It would mean her figurative death. The marriage was maintained, but like David, she wasted away in her silence through her groaning all day long for literal decades. And after some more sessions of counseling, the minister and woman decided she needed to come clean. I just can't do it anymore, she said. And the minister reminded her of Jesus' words, the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. Though skeptical, she resolved to do it, to tell him the truth and expecting everything to fall apart. Now, a week went by and she came for her next appointment and she was rather cheery. Sounds like it went well, the minister said, but like almost too well. What happened? He asked. The thing is, she said, the thing is that he already knew. He already knew. I had no idea, but he already knew. He was this same lovable, understanding, wonderful self this whole time, even though he already knew. This whole time, he already knew, and I was already forgiven. I wish I told him 20 years ago, because I would have saved myself a whole lot of sleepless nights and a whole lot of guilt and a whole lot of pain. But he already knew, and I was already forgiven. Now, clearly, every admission of adultery does not, not every admission of adultery ends with loving forgiveness. Often the truth brings out enormous pain and suffering. Our chickens have a habit of coming home to roost. Yet this story is about the healing power of forgiveness. This husband's posture of grace is a reflection of God's grace towards us in our sin and our guilt. All this tossing 
and turning and wasting away is unnecessary. We can tell the truth because God already knows. God already sees. But rather than meeting our guilt with punishment, God is already ready to forgive. Though telling it may be hard, the promise is that the truth will set us free if we're willing to speak it. Because in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has promised that we will not die. That like the woman's husband in his unshakable love and loyalty, that in his death on the cross, Jesus has borne all the consequences of our sin and still has refused to turn away meaning that we don't have to hide, we don't have to cover up, we don't have to be afraid. Hell's gates have been broken open and death shall have no dominion. We can tell the truth about ourselves. I mean, I want to put out a sign. I want to put it on the church sign, you know, sinners only. Right? Because that's the great promise of the gospel. It comes to us in our brokenness. Because of who God is, we will not die, but we will live. Blessed are those whose transgression is forgiven, our psalm began. Blessed are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Which means, blessed are you, dear friends. Hear the good news. Blessed are you. Because you don't have to hide or cover up anymore. You don't have to be afraid or toss and turn all night. Because rather than being swept away by the waters of sin and death, you, dear friends, through the waters of baptism, you've been caught up in the current of God's amazing grace. You can stop gasping for air. And you can tell the truth. You can empty your spirit of all deceit and embrace the great gift of God's grace. In Christ, you are forgiven. And that's the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, a truth that will set you free. And for this, Thanks be to God. Please stand for our hymn of the day, There is a Bomb in Gilead. <laughs> 